Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 689 with a review of Last Night in Soho. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Um, this week, it's finally available for those who didn't catch it in theaters. Um, this is Last Night in Soho, the latest film from Edgar Wright. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, to start this episode off, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask Stephen a random out of left field question. Uh, but in this film, um, you know, our lead character moves to London and gets this brand new apartment. Um, and uh, you know, it's a nice place. Uh, there's one one minor annoyance, possibly that somebody might think about the apartment, and that it is right next to another building that has a giant neon sign. I see. Uh, this is this is sweaty, <laughs> but I see what you're doing. <laughs> Uh, I teased Stephen about asking a left field question. I think he knows where I'm going with this. But uh, as somebody who uh, did live for a time above a venue of sorts that had a giant neon uh, sign outside of it, A, did this film trigger you at all? <laughs> having to remember having to deal with that. And B, uh, what did you think about living in a, in a place with a giant neon sign outside the window? Well, well done. Um, I mean, so I lived above a music venue, so the visuals weren't really the number one most intrusive thing, uh, or the smell of garlic, <laughs> or whatever else is wrong with this place. Um, yeah. For me, obviously, the sound was the big one, but I did like, so I, I had a big kind of iconic blue neon sign right outside my living room window. Um but the effect of that was just I kept my blind shut all the time. Yeah. Um, but it, it was cool occasionally late at night to like open up the blinds and feel the blue light like shining in the living room. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it was, you know, it, it didn't remind me of any negative experiences because I never really had it. Also, my place, the living room was not where I slept. Like the room yeah. by the window was kind of separate just for entertaining, um, which means I never used it because I never had anyone over. Um but yeah, so it didn't didn't really trigger me in any meaningful way. But I did, I did kind of think about it just when she moved above that busy area and thinking about what it felt like to live in a old house in the city where you could kind of hear everything going on outside yeah. and see like the, you know, like a, when a police car drives by and you suddenly get like, you know, flashing light in your room. That is something that I, I no longer deal with now because I'm on the sixth floor of an apartment building. Um, yeah. But I do kind of miss those. Uh, the, it, it, <laughs> it was like the slightly more um, city, city feeling, like yeah. where you are, where you are experiencing everything of the city, including the inability to fall asleep. Yeah, it's a lived in place. That's something that you're exactly you're, you're experiencing. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. also felt haunted. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I think we've talked on the because I have slept on that couch underneath that neon mm-hmm. light. Um, and we have talked in the past about that that weird window you had at the corner next to the stairs and just how creepy it was to this window yeah. to nowhere that anything could just be coming out of it. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. God, so, yeah. I just got scared thinking about that window. <laughs> I just imagine, like, if a face had been present when you open. That's the most terrifying thing about windows. Like, yeah, yeah. What, what do you do when there's a face? Like, there might be a face outside my window here on the <laughs> on the top floor of an apartment building. But yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that's the typical thing in um, in in any horror movie, right? Is you are asleep and you hear a sound behind you, and as long as you don't turn around, it could be anything, right? But if you look mm-hmm. and then you see the thing, then you have to deal with it. It's just. Really, yeah. really, really scary you stuff. And, and now, unfortunately, in, say, Google Meet, they show you a preview of what you look like. So I can now see the open door behind me and just imagine <laughs> a figure walking through it. 
uh, good times. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, obviously that light was a very purposeful thing because it's yeah. tied to music in, in this film. And, and I think it's, it's done. Uh, I, I love what it was doing, but I did think about the nightmare of having to sleep under a blinking neon light. Um, that sort yeah. of causes you to have, like you got to have the masks and everything just to try to oh, knock sure. out that light. Otherwise you're just going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I do. Th- she also lived above a restaurant that was just called French restaurant. <laughs> And I, I was thinking it would be funny if I had lived above a music venue, just named music venue. Yeah. Start one of those someday. Cool. Uh, well, Stephen Miller, what do you say we get into this review of Last Night in Soho? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for this film, and we're going to come back and give you that review. Baby, you don't know what you say. So what brings you down then? I'm studying London College of Fashion. Right, Room is on the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. If I could live any place and any time I'd live here in London. In the 60s. Sandy. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. So Last Night in Soho is the story of a young woman um, who moves to London to go to fashion school. And, uh, you know, as she's trying to adjust to the city, she starts to have um, maybe dreams that sort of uh, find a muse for her to inspire her and her stuff. Um, and uh, she starts to suspect that that person that is the muse of all the stuff that she's working on may have been a real person from the 60s. And uh, yeah, I'll just stop there. Um, Stephen Miller, what did you think of Last Night in Soho? So I had not been particularly excited to watch this movie only, and I 
I feel ashamed when this is true, but only because when it first hit the festival scene, it got pretty negative reviews. Like, I don't remember the content of them, but I remember it just kind of like fizzling of everyone being like, ooh, ooh, no, not not that movie. And so I kind of <laughs> put it off my radar. I was like, okay, I'll catch up with Edgar Wright's movie at some point, but like nothing to see here, nothing to get too excited about. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Like, I, I don't think it is brilliant. Like, I... I would say it is not as good as many of the Edgar Wright films that I love, but I think it is solid all around. I think it is, it's him doing what he does best, but doing it in a slightly more withdrawn way. Like he's still editing to music very, very directly. He's still very much about style. He's very much about playing in a genre and then kind of turning it on its head or injecting things in it that make it both a fun entry in a genre and also kind of a commentary on the genre. Uh, and I think it all works fairly well here. Like it, in this case, the genre is a certain variety of horror film that I do not have a lot of fluency in. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe if I did know all about like the, I don't know, uh, Argento and uh, Polanski or whatever films, I would know what he is homaging and I would feel like he's ripping it off. But I don't. So I had a, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I think like Thomas and McKenzie is good here. Anya Taylor-Joy is fantastic. Um, and the movie zips by. It is kind of a, a film where the world slowly begins to get more and more confusing for the lead character. And I think he handles this well. There's tons of dream sequences that I think his style is like the flashing light that you mentioned at the beginning um, uh, of this episode. He does uses that to such good effect in this movie. And I think the way he kind of wades in between dream world and real world is very, very well done. Uh, his use of mirrors, I also think are really well done and kind of entertaining to see where he goes. I think, you could levy this at a bunch of Edgar Wright movies. I think he doesn't dive deep into his themes. And I think some of the themes of this movie, I can kind of see why maybe people didn't enjoy his surface level treatment of them about like violence against women and stuff like that. But that's not what he's doing. He's doing a classic old school horror movie where it is about very obvious things and he's mining it for kind of dark a darkness like he's not trying to do any more than that um my criticism of the movie is mainly that i think like a lot of his movies but more so here i think it kind of falls apart in the third act it, he definitely doesn't really know how to stick the landing on these things um i also think there are clues sprinkled throughout the movie that are way more obvious than the movie plays them as um <laughs> the movie acts like these are going to be reveals and every time there is a thing foreshadowing you immediately know what he's going to do you know who yeah. certain characters are going to wind up being the moment you see them you know when certain names appear what they mean like th he wants you to be ahead of the movie but i think he kind of he does it to the point that it loses some of the dramatic tension. And then there are certain things that if I put on my Chris hat and I say, like, what if I were this young woman who is haunted by these feelings? Um, how would I behave? What sharp objects might I carry or not carry with me? And how much would I choose to act on what I am seeing, given everything I know about my life up to that point? I would say, like, yeah, falls apart a little bit there. But... I had fun. I had fun. I, I was expecting to be underwhelmed by this movie, and I wasn't. I thought it was a totally fine, reasonably solid entry in the Edgar Wright canon, and I'm kind of perplexed that it got 
the kind of critical beating that it did when it when it came out yeah I, I think i am mostly positive on this film i i enjoyed the ride i mean obviously it's a, vis- a visual treat right like edgar yeah. wright is doing awesome stuff um in this film like everything from just the color to the visuals the jumping between the two periods um all of it is a really entertainer entertaining visual thing that you are sitting through and all that's great um the story itself is is pretty interesting um you kind of <laughs> i mean it, it it's almost like he wasn't confident enough in the story to let it unfold on its own you have to start with the premise of who this girl is and what her gift right. is and then it's like well hold on let me just start with this so that you can already assume a thing and then you can go on and i think that like that is kind of a weird way to approach the story i think most i think most uh haunting films start with things being slightly weird and then escalating over time right the yeah. fact that she may or may not have one foot in the pool already <laughs> Yeah, kind of changes the way you perceive her interactions around things. And it's also doing something interesting that that I like is that what you would expect sort of probably more traditionally in a story like this is you are watching a modern, a present day young woman who wants to become a singer or uh, an actress or a model going into a a uh you know genre of work that is going to like eat her alive basically right and then you are seeing uh one person mimic something that has happened to somebody else and sort of learn the dangers of what she wants to do but in in this film uh thomason's character is she's in a completely separate field as this person she is imagining or or yeah. dreaming about so it's like she is in theory protected from the dangers of that like like yes london's a scary place um uh, for lots of other reasons that don't have to be um uh s- that specific industry but like she is sort of one step outside of it and she sort of becomes obsessed with this person that she is seeing and uses her as the muse for the work that she is she is doing and the style that she wants to have for herself so i it, it's I, i'm still like a, a split sort of in the way that I, I i think about this like in one hand it's like there is, I like that she is becoming amused for her and that she is obsessed with this person that she thinks she knows that she's seeing. And I love the twist of how she imagines this perfect world. And as she starts to slowly realize that, that world might not be that awesome, um, it turns into a thing that is horrific for many different reasons. Um, I like that turn, but I also feel confused at why she is even able to have this connection with a person other than the fact that this film starts with a reflection in the mirror and establishes that she has this sort of, uh, that she is some sort of empath or medium or some, Mm -hmm. something that, that, that can dip her toe into that, that pond. And, and uh, it's, there, there is like a lot of stuff. This film forces you to accept in order to go along for that ride. And when I'm on the ride, I'm like, this is great. I love this. This is great. I love everything about this. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Like, yeah, she's just like an empath or a medium. Like, it's cool. We'll just go with it. Um, and I think that, like, I did a lot of ebb and flowing at the end of the film. Like, ultimately, I like how it ends. I like mm-hmm. the ramp up. I like the insanity of what's going on towards the end of this film. 
but I also like look at it and I go like, like why is she being haunted? Like it makes more sense if she is literally taking the place of this person that she is envisioning and she is being haunted right. in that same way. But like, I don't know that there's something, something doesn't jive quite with me. It, it, it is interesting that I think he, he liked the visual of, I, I, by the way, this is one of those movies that I didn't read anything about and I don't remember seeing the trailer before so I don't know what is giving something away and what isn't yeah. but I think he visually liked the idea of her of Thomas and Mackenzie inhabiting Anya Taylor-Joy's aesthetic and yeah. I don't think he found a plot reason that would make it make sense but he wanted it to happen yeah. and I, I feel like that that was really where it came from is the movie feels like she should be becoming this person somehow but the plot doesn't actually support that in any like meaningful way. Yeah, and and I think uh I, I think that there is um like we we like you you were talking about how a lot of Edgar Wright's films are like playing in a genre and then turn out to be a send up of that genre. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like this film is almost like it it's doing it backwards. It's starting as a send up of the genre of being like what if the actual haunting was a metaphor for this, which in mm-hmm. itself is horrifying. Yeah. And then it literally, it just, then it reverses itself and it becomes literal horror by the end yeah, of it, yeah. where it's like, it's trying to play in the space of this film is just metaphor. And then it's like, nah, this film is just this horror film and also other stuff too. <laughs> it definitely, I know it tonally it is different, but it, the twist it takes by the end reminded me of Hot Fuzz almost, just in the way that uh, you have to suspend disbelief about characters and motivations and then just like accept that you are in a cartoon at the end. Um, <laughs> but then when you do that, I feel like it's okay. I don't know. To me, I don't know if this is damning with faint praise, but it just it didn't feel that different from what he has always been doing, which is you know, you can poke holes at his movies, but I think like, I didn't feel like this movie was that much different in quality from a lot of the movies of his that I've liked. I I think I love it way more when he's in comedy than when he tries his hand at something ostensibly not comedic. But otherwise I feel like he's pulling a lot of the same bag of tricks that he's been doing before. Yeah. It's funny until you just said the phrase not comedic. I couldn't, for the life of me, explain why this felt so much different than the rest of the films. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's like, no oh, humor in the movie. Because it's, it's just a serious film. That's why. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, I, now I know why. And the thing is, it does still kind of play... D- despite the text of the film, there's something about the visual aesthetic of it that plays like a comedy to me. I, I don't know how to explain it, except like early on when she is in the 60s and the way characters interact with her and everything it feels like you're in like a disneyland ride or something like there's a lightness to it and i think maybe that is what's odd is his style feels like it is better suited to comedy and when he then says no for real i'm being super serious right now you don't totally believe it because it just doesn't feel serious um i felt like the music here 
was used very nicely. When I compare this against Cruella, which is set in the 70s, but also like a period piece in London that is all about like the fashion industry and everything. That movie was like a needle drop every five minutes for the whole runtime. Here, Edgar Wright loves his music and he doesn't shy away from it, but it felt more, I'm not going to say subtle, but it like, it fit with the movie. It felt like part of the texture of it. And I, I appreciated that about the movie a lot. I think it was less in your face than like a baby driver. Would yeah, be. yeah. But also a lot of that stuff is like the music is for the, the feeling of the, the, the dancing and the, the energy of yeah. that time versus like Corello where it's like some of the times it's literally performing it. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's like, even for the character in the film in Corella, it's on the nose. <laughs> The, the, yep. the needle drops <laughs> yeah though this did have some on the on the nose needle drops but it, it just didn't feel needle drop is the wrong word but like th there's a moment where um uh someone is being chased uh and seeing ghastly apparitions and always something there to remind me he's playing <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely having a having a little bit of fun there <laughs> Maybe that's where all the secret comedy of this film is. Mm -hmm. I want to go back and talk a little bit about, I mean, without, without actually getting into spoilers, I feel like I, I talked about how I think it goes from being metaphor to being like legit horror by the end of this film. Mm -hmm. And I think that while I like that evolution and I like like sort of the, the, the slow clap of, of like where it goes to by the end um, and also the horrible frighteningness of thinking about the uh the day she moved in versus <laughs> where we are at the end of the film oh yeah like all the descriptions of the apartment and stuff like that um, yeah. it, that's terrifying to me um but, but besides that i i think that I, I think one of the reasons that holds me back from being like super praising of this film is simply because when it does that ebb and flow bouncing between like metaphor as ho horror as metaphor and horror as horror um I, I think that every time it does that flip, it undercuts what was happening before the flip, right? Like this idea of what she is being haunted by um, in that moment, I don't think those figures would behave the way they do when you think the haunting is simply the transactional nature of the, their presence. <laughs> um right. And then when they turn into being like things that are upset for another reason, then you wonder, well, like, why aren't they doing that to other people? <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. it, it feels like this film becomes sort of it starts to fall apart if you try to handle anything logically. But if you handle everything like purely in mood and tone and visuals, it's like, yeah, this is all great. I love what it's doing, but it just I, yeah, I, I kept yeah. You you have to only operate on that level. I do think. When it thinks it is being a metaphor, it falls, I, I won't say falls apart, but it, it gets worse every time it tries to do that. And I think part of it is just that Edgar Wright knows how to do a genre film. I don't know if he knows how to do a message movie. And like this movie frames from the very beginning, London and especially Soho, it's a scary place to be, especially if you're a young woman and women are treated horribly in this movie and were in the 60s and still are today. And he teases that early by having like a taxi driver just be perving on her in the most like direct way possible. And then men kind of leering at her and guys at parties or in bars saying very rude things to her. And th there's something just very heavy handed about that compared to the way 
like horror movies traditionally will use sexuality and the threat of men and stuff but they use it more subtly and here it's just like this is the message this is what we're uh, making the movie about and it i don't know if you were getting at this too but the hauntings can either be she is an empath and she is absorbing whatever is in the walls whatever has happened here before and she is just reliving it or it can be she is absorbing the energy of one person in particular and getting to see the world through their eyes. And this movie can't decide, even in the literal haunting sense, which of those two things she's doing. Yeah. Because it is a uh, an unreliable narrator in different ways as the movie goes on. And yeah. I don't... I don't know what to make of that. And normally in a horror movie, I wouldn't, you know, like in Hereditary or something, I don't need to think of like, oh, what is the reality of, you know, genetic like curses being passed down? I know that it's just like <laughs> dabbling in anxiety and it's, it's just using visuals for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where, whereas this, it's like, it's trying to make it a direct story where we take literally how it's happening and then when he does these flights of fancy that wouldn't make sense for a kind of omniscient empath to uh, to i don't know it 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 kind of all falls apart there i also don't know by the way why uh there are certain people who are clearly red herrings but who behave in very sketchy ways and i don't know why they behave that way other than they are like you know, the creepy townsperson in hot fuzz or whatever. Like the only way I can understand it is it's a contrivance that makes fun in a satire, but doesn't make much sense in a real horror movie. So I don't even think it's supposed to make fun in a satire. I think it's literally supposed to make, it's sorry. It's not supposed to make fun of anything. It is. The only reason is there is to be a attempted misdirect or, or like a, a, but it plans, it plants the seed too early on. Like that. I I don't want to spoil it, but, the moment you learn this person's identity, you know it. Like, not yeah. the misdirect, but the reality. <laughs> At least for me. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know why the misdirect even exists. Yeah, th- th- there, there is a person who says a line of dialogue where they're like, nah, so-and-so did so-and-so. And I was like, yeah. that, I was like come on. That doesn't even yeah. make sense. That character, no matter who you think they are, would not say that sentence because that sentence doesn't make sense unless you want the audience to read it specifically as something that it's not. And I, Mm -hmm. I just like it, it like the more I think back on that line of dialogue, there's not a real way to parse it to make it make sense in the non later sense of, of that. Like nobody would say that sentence. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Um, And those are the kind of things that feel like, it feels like this 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 film was was built uh, chronologically ongoing with a story that hadn't been fully completed yet. It was kind of like, ooh, wherever this wherever I feel most inspired, I'm going to take the story in that direction. And it, and it feels like you you went on a journey with somebody who was like, oh, but then what if this happened? And then they didn't they didn't go like, who's the person with like the show bible that like can go through and talk about the continuity and make sure that that isn't something that changes what we were establishing already um yeah. it, so it has it has that sort of problem to it um but in the end like i it was it was fun enough and 
I it's still like by the end of it when like everything's happening, you're like, all right, whatever, okay, yeah. I'm good with this. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. v- visually, it's fun enough. I'll yeah. Like at least there's color. I think I know it's getting very popular to the point of being like whatever boring to criticize the like the beige color grading of things but i really feel like when i watch movies like this i remember how it feels to have real vibrant colors <laughs> and like interesting lighting in every scene and i don't know do do whatever you want edgar it's fine i guess just don't take yourself too seriously i didn't feel like this movie was taking himself too seriously but i can understand the criticism if if that's where it comes from yeah Cool. Uh, well, shall we get to verdicts? Sure. All right. Stephen Miller, if you were going to give us a must-see, reckon with a caveat, wait to rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it a recommend with a caveat. I think it, w- it was visually a lot of fun. I think it does fit nicely in Edgar Wright's canon. A little lesser than some of his movies, mainly because he's not embracing his sense of humor, and I think the comedy is really what propels his movies forward. But... It's fine. Like, if you don't think too hard about the plot, and if you definitely don't go in expecting this to have anything interesting to say about, you know, the dangers of being a woman anywhere or, like, the horrific behavior of men, just know that is the premise and it will not mine it for anything more deeply than that. And then, you, you know, have a good time. Enjoy the visuals. It's it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it a recommend with a caveat as well. I... I, I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. And I think it's like by the end, you're just like slow clapping like, all right, all right, nice work. Um, but yeah, I think there's some logical inconsistency in the way it portrays uh, the horror and what is horror versus metaphor. And, uh, you know, I like a lot of the ideas, um, but you got to suspend your disbelief a little bit and just ride what this film is doing. And I think it'll entertain you the whole time, whether or not it, uh, you know, surprises you or leaves a lasting feeling at all <laughs> yeah i think i like it better than the world's end and the world's end is something that a ton of people fell like head over heels for and that is a movie that i thought was goofy to the point of being like b- broke the movie for me i know other people <laughs> loved it but i i would take this edgar right over that one yeah all right. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this review of Last Night in Soho. So hopefully uh, everyone enjoyed this review. Stephen, if people want to find you that week, where can they do that? I just want to point out you said Soho and then so hopefully. And I, I like that you said Soho <laughs> twice. Uh, right. People can find me at Twitter.com slash SDavidMiller, SDavidMiller.com or no longer in the apartment next to the blue blinking light. <laughs> people can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Last Night in Soho. So... Hopefully you're enjoying that. I just, I, man, I'm just like deja vuing myself. You're so hoeing all over again. Uh, but yeah, that's it. We're done. Uh, we're going to take off. We have another review to do for you of Tick, Tick, Boom, which is out now on Netflix. Um, so yeah, speaking, speaking of movies set in Soho, where the lead character is idolizing a, a, a genre that was popularized in the 60s and 70s. Boom. 
Tick, tick, boom, goes the dynamite. <laughs> tick, tick, boom, goes the dynamite. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.